This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, it's a big day out here in Seattle as the uh, the Seahawks Nation out here got a chance to meet their new head coach, Mike McDonald, did a great job at his press conference. And a man who knows a thing or two about the new Seahawks head coach had him on his staff out there in Georgia. He's with us right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is Mark Richt. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? We're, we're doing good. Everybody out here is Seahawks fans very excited about uh, Mike McDonald as the, as the new head coach, a young guy at 36 years old. Is this, is this something you saw in his future when you saw a very e- even younger version of him on your staff in Georgia? <laughs> Oh yeah, very very sharp guy, great communicator, hard worker, just just a intelligent, eloquent guy that uh, has a, a mental toughness and physical toughness when it comes to football. So, you know, he just you could tell good things are going to happen to Mike. Yeah, Mark. So uh, tell us about uh, you know some of the the characteristics of him, whether it's relating to players or just the amount of work. It seems like this guy was just born to coach football. Well, when you get a graduate assistant to come in, or an analyst, or you know, everybody has different names for a coach on the rise, so to speak, a young coach breaking into the business. Uh, there's usually you know a certain amount of workload that those guys have that is uh, sometimes underappreciated. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the position coach, the coordinator, sometimes the head coach will give these guys responsibilities and then they kind of judge, you know, how they're doing by what kind of a job they do with the, with what they're given. And when they do, well, they give them more, you know, and, uh, Mike was the kind of guy that you knew if you gave him an assignment, it was going to get done, it was going to get done well and get done in a timely manner. And, uh, and then you could just see him uh, relate to players, uh, a guy that is genuine. You know, a lot of coaches try to be somebody they're not, and players kind of sniff that out pretty quick, and especially I would think at the NFL level it's even more so. But you better be genuine. You better be who you are so you don't have to sit there and act like somebody else, which is exhausting to begin with. <laughs> and Mike's just a real genuine human being, a guy that can relate to all kind of people and, uh, and, uh, is very, very good at what he does. Coach, was he somebody as, as a young guy out there, you said you'd give him a job, he'd go out there and do it well. Is he, was he a question guy? Was he a guy that would pick your brain? I don't know if he even had that kind of time or access, but was, was he somebody that you found inquisitive to, to learn as much as he could about the game and, and coaching? Well, with me, not a lot. Like you said, the access to the head coach is not like a daily thing other than staff meetings and things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, being under the his coordinator uh, and the assistant coaches, you know, the safety defensive backfield coach in particular that he worked with, uh, you know, would give him those responsibilities and just let him go, you know. And uh, he, he took care of business very well and, was definitely a guy that, you know, wanted to know why things were done, not to question coaches in what they're doing, but the why as to as to be able to learn. 
Hey, Mark, do you uh, do you know what how it is that he took a path to Baltimore? Because he was with you for what three or four years, and then um, you know how did he get that jump to the Baltimore Ravens in 2014? Yeah, somewhere along the way, I, you know, you know, coaching is certainly if you know somebody that knows somebody to get your foot in the door, but uh, you know the level of coaching in the NFL that he got at first, I'm sure is very similar to what an analyst or a graduate assistant would do that type of work. Uh, and, you know, the NFL doesn't have as many limitations on what a guy can do. Like in college, uh, an analyst is not supposed to be an on the field coach. Mm-hmm. Some people would break the rule and do it anyway, but some people wouldn't Where like in the NFL, if you're an assistant to an, to an assistant coach, Let's say you got a guy in charge of safeties, and Mike's his his guy. Well, then that safeties coach can give him field responsibilities, actual responsibilities for drill work or whatever it may be, to help him get his feet on the ground. And uh, I'm sure that's how he got in there and excelled, and people saw it. And uh, that's one thing about leadership is being able to hire good people around you. And when you see a good one, you know you snatch him up and. His, his rise has been obviously, I mean, when you got the Harbaugh brother connection and both of them bragging about what a great job he's doing, <laughs> it's not hard to find. It's not hard to find work. Hey, coach, what what is that jump like going? I, I know you didn't do it at the NFL level, but you, you certainly did it at the college level, going from a grad assistant to, you know, coaching and, and you know, coordinating, and then you become a head coach. Um, and I don't think you were that much older than he is now making that jump. So what what is that like, assuming where you become the head man? You're in charge of everything. Right. Yeah, well, no one really understands the weight of responsibility that comes along with sitting in that chair. And uh, at, at the college level, there's so many facets uh, that you're responsible for. I mean, you are definitely – the CEO of a multi-million dollar company and you got a lot of responsibility in a lot of departments, so to speak, that you're, that you got to oversee and the buck does stop with you. And then same thing in the NFL, you know, you don't have as many, you don't have to recruit. You can spend most of your time on ball and, and, uh, and, and the, the GM type of stuff, you know, it's a different kind of responsibility, but the bottom line is the success or failure rests mostly on the head coach and the quarterback at both levels, both college and and pro levels. And so until you sit there, like as an assistant, like I I was, I was under coach Bowden, Bobby, coach Bobby Bowden. And there was times I'd question, why did he do what he did? I don't get it, you know? And, uh, and then, but then you sit in the chair and you realize there's a lot of things the head coach knows that no one else knows. And he's making decisions based on what he knows, not what you know. And so you got to understand that, you know, sometimes you'll do things that people don't understand, and you can't tell them to justify what you're doing because it's it's a private matter. And uh, so until you spin that chair, you just really don't get it. Hey, Mark, uh, for for him, you know, being in charge of the defense there, and it sounds like, you know, I I feel like it would be a waste of resources for him to not, you know, continue to be, you know, calling the defense and things like that. But when you you made that jump from going from quarterback coach or OC to head coach, you know, what? how how much do you sort of farm out, you know, as far as, you know, what your knowledge is and and how much do you, you know, keep your hands on the offense or defense? 
Right. Well, I was basically the acting offensive coordinator at Georgia for the first six and a half, seven years. Yeah. Uh, I knew I got the head job because of what I did as a coordinator. And I loved it. I loved that part of it. And I still coached QBs. I still called plays. And I was the head coach. And after about six, seven years, two things happened. One, Mike Bobo grew up and matured and was ready to become the coordinator. And number two, he was wearing my rear end out, you know. <laughs> and uh, so over time, with all the responsibilities you have besides, you know, the football part. And the other thing that was happening to me is when I was a coordinator, my off season, all I did was, was ball. All I did was look at, look at the trends, look at what's successful, what wasn't, what, what are defenses doing? That's all I did in the off season as a coordinator, as a head coach, you got all kind of other things you got to deal with. Yeah. So you become a little bit stagnant when it comes to creativity uh, on either side of the ball for that matter. So, you know, there may come a time, when he wants to delegate to somebody he trusts, but at this time he trusts himself the best. He's young, he's got energy. And, you know, quite frankly, the fact that he doesn't have to recruit uh, will probably help him <laughs> stay in that role maybe as long as he wants to. Hey, Coach, if he were to call you right now and just say, hey, Coach, what, what piece of advice could you give me making this jump from coordinator to now head coach as we've talked about? What would, is there one thing you would lean on with him? Well, I would say, uh, kind of reiterate what I mentioned earlier, is to be genuine, be who you are, you know, because wh- who you are is what got you where you are where you are to begin with. And, uh, you know, earn the trust of the people around you. You know, you, 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 you can, uh, I think in the NFL, you got to earn the trust of these players. They, you know, like college and high school, those kids are going to do what coach says because coach said it. But in the pros, Sometimes they need to know why we're doing it, mm. and you got to be able. To, when you motivate grown men, it's a little bit different, and they got to they got to know you and trust you and believe that you have their best interest at heart because it's their livelihood. So, I think just uh, be true to yourself, be honest with everybody, and do what you think is best in the end because it, the buck's going to stop with you. And Mark, the the thing that uh, that I noticed today listening to him at the. Um, at the press conference was that he has a, a lot of respect for the game and it's kind of it's like a certain level of humility like you know i i'm yeah. not bigger than the game and you know that this thing's going to go on without right. me and you know just speak to that a little bit i thought that was something that really came through as far as the, right. the new head coach goes well you know football truly is a humbling game because uh, no one ever wins every time no one ever completes a pass every time no one ever protects perfectly every time i mean you get knocked down a lot and uh you also have you know moments that you blow it you know and you got to own it and when you own it people people will have a better especially your staff and your team has a better chance of following you if you'll admit you screwed it up sometimes and you know uh and then we're, this is what we're going to do to make it right but, uh, you know, football and life really in general is, is humbling because no one is ever on top of their game every single moment of every day. So the longer you live, the more you got to understand that uh, football, what you do for a living in life is going to is, is a humbling experience. 
Hey, Coach, I'm curious from your perspective, as long as you've been in the game and coaching and playing and watching the game, analyzing, how much has it evolved? Is it, it you know, my, my co-host here played in the league for almost 10 years and has talked about, yeah, you know, we, this is similar to what we did then. It's just called something different. It sounds like, you know, maybe it gets right. retitled, repackaged a bit, but it's essentially the same. Do you feel like the game is still evolving to a point where you're going, whoa, I've never seen anything like that? Or is everything sort of an offshoot of something that's already existed in your mind? Yeah, I think for the most part, uh, there's not much new under the sun, but there are trends that, that happen. I mean, it used to be that things would go from pro to the college game and trickle down to high school. But I think in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years, a lot of the you know run pass option RPOs and things of that nature, they started in high school and migrated to college, and then the NFL. Some of the teams in the NFL have started to use those types of things. So, you know, I don't think anybody cares uh, where the idea comes from. If it's a good idea, you know, find a way to incorporate it in your program. And the other thing too is, you got to do what your quarterback can do, and if your quarterback excels at that type of stuff, then you've got to incorporate that into your system. And so you got to look at all your skill set and find out which five are the best as far as eligible receivers, whether it's receivers, tight ends, and running back combinations. And what can your quarterback do? Uh, then you got to you got to be able to do that and do it well. Hey, Mark, I, I think you kind of alluded to it, but, um, you know, we were talking about just the generation gap and maybe he closes it because he's 36 as opposed to Pete, who was 72. But I just feel like, especially when you get in the NFL, what what players really want, they want you to, to help them get better, help them be a professional. Yeah. And, you know, the right. whatever whether it's the age barrier or whatever, I feel like in in the NFL, it it that part mostly doesn't matter. It's just it's more about hey, just tell me how to become a better player. You you agree with that? As times yeah. haven't really changed that 100, much. One hundred percent. You and and again, I mentioned it earlier. You got to earn the trust of those guys that you literally can help them play better to the point where they can have better contracts and and have longevity in the league. And so. If you can help them succeed, you got them. Yeah. You know, uh, you don't have to be a rah-rah guy. You just, like I said, got to be who you are. And Pete obviously was a young at heart guy for sure. And, uh, you know, I've been around Pete enough to know the kind of personality he has, that contagious enthusiasm. But he also, you know, is, is wise in that, you know, he's had, got all the experience that he's had. Mike doesn't have near the, near the you know, experience but the experience he does have is with teams that have played at a super high level. And, uh, you know, when you come from winning programs, you tend to understand why people win. And part of it is making uh, people beat you and not beat yourself. Hey, Coach, are you somebody that would, would sort of keep an eye on, on guys that were on your staff at one point that have moved on oh, yeah. and moved up and just kind of follow their oh, career? Yeah. Did you keep in touch with Mike yeah, McDonald? Well, yeah. Well, I, I did text him and congratulate him uh, on this opportunity and, and uh, on some of the other ones uh, in Michigan or wherever he had been. But um, And then, of course, with the with the Ravens. But um, people ask me, you know, which teams do I support? 
and I say, I always tell them, I said, I, I, I support people, not necessarily teams. And it's very, it's the very thing you're saying. You know, I, I love, I love watching the Ravens defense because of Mike. You know, yeah. and uh, there's players that I've got in the league all over the place that uh, I've got a chance to see them succeed. So I get a chance to cheer for, you know, Stafford or No. Sean Moreno or AJ Green or. You know, whoever it might be, Ro- Roquan Smith nowadays. and yeah. You know, so the guys that played for me and coached for me are sort of the ones we watch the most and cheer for the most. Yeah, and uh, so what we hear now, Coach, is that you are a huge Seahawks fan. Is that right? That's <laughs> what we're hearing here. Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> yeah, t- tell, <laughs> you us better about, believe it. tell us about, you mentioned a few players, but some of the, some of the coaches that went on from your staff to have success, uh, maybe just a, just a few more names. Well, um, I'm not taking major credit for this guy at all <laughs> because he didn't stay. He didn't. I didn't have him long, but I hired Coach Smart, uh, Kirby Smart, mm. uh, to actually be our running backs coach. Uh, I wanted him on my staff, and uh, I knew he wanted to coach defense, and I wanted him to coach defense, but I didn't have a defensive position open, and I didn't want to fire somebody to hire him. But I had a running backs position, and I convinced him that. As soon as something opened on defense, linebacker or DB, I'd move him over immediately. And in the meantime, he could be on the offensive side of the ball and know the ins and outs of everything that we do offensively and probably would help his knowledge as to how to stop an offense in the future as a defensive coach. So, you know, he came on staff and coached with us that one season before he left with Nick when Nick went to the Dolphins. And he kind of been with Nick ever since that time, but uh, you know he was he was one that uh, you know certainly had a great career. Mike Bobo, the coordinator I mentioned, you know had a shot of being the head coach at Colorado State. Didn't really work out as good as he would hope, uh, but uh, a lot of other guys that you know moved into positions in, in college and pro, you know all all across the country really. Former head coach Mark Richt has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Coach, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for the time, and and most importantly, we're glad to know that you are now a Seahawks fan. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, bye now. There you go. Former head coach Mark Richt and uh, the man who got the, got the ball rolling at the college level anyway for new Seahawks head coach Mike McDonald. Yeah. This guy just impresses people wherever he goes, you know, and I, I think he just has that, what Paul Moyer was talking about, the it factor, where you just know um, this is a guy that, I mentioned this before, I'll tell the story again, Chuck Knox, when he walked in the room, the first time we all got together as a team and I was a rookie, it was pretty awesome because he got, when he got up to the front of the room and turned right to go up to the podium, right at that point, everybody would just stop talking, just dead silence, so yeah, that's uh, that. You just know that he's respected, and I think for uh, for Mike McDonald, it's more about his knowledge of X's and O's. I think Chuck was just a kind of a hard ass leader that you knew that you know whatever he said. I remember Chuck. I did not want him to talk to me. Right. <laughs> if he came over to talk to you, it was usually something bad. But I know it's different now. But Mike McDonald has that same kind of it factor, which is it's going to be interesting to see it play out and see how he handles press conferences and things like that. Do you, do you think it was the era that, that, that 
coaches were just viewed as authority figures and kind of yeah. like here comes the teacher right everybody shut your mouth let's go yeah like totally it, i'm i'm sure chuck had his own unique uh vibe with 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 the team but it feels like that was just how you acknowledge the coaches back then yeah it seemed that way anyway maybe it wasn't no i think you're right I think you're right. It was definitely more of that. There wasn't, you know, and I, I kind of like, I remember trying to joke around with Tom Catlin early on and realizing that <laughs> the, he, he was joke not, around. he was not having it. Yeah. <laughs> I made him laugh one time, one time. And it's been a highlight of your life. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it had to do with a guy we had in camp. His name was Peter Short and I made a joke and uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he actually laughed and I, and you said, I won. Yeah. I won. <laughs> remember there are cameras here dave uh all right coming up there's an important question that has to be asked was it the scheme or the talent that led the ravens defense to the success they had we'll get into that next with wyman and bob this is seattle sports on 710 wyman and bob powered through the alaska airline studio on seattle sports and the seattle sports app I would kill to be in that quarterback <laughs> precision competition. passing competition. I would to, take on Brock Heward. They wouldn't let you use snowballs, though. You'd have to use a football. <laughs> I could throw any Dave, object. Bomb. David come walking in like Kramer with his cooler and take open it up, and there'd be just a big rack of snowballs in there. Like, all right, I'm ready to go, guys. Show me the targets. Snowball shaped like a football. <laughs> it, just, it has to be part snow. Yeah. No, uh, I, that by the would way, be ba fun. Baker Mayfield, which I'm certain everybody picked to win, yeah. is your winner in the precision passing competition. I'm sure there were some odds that down in Las Vegas yeah. of who was going to win what. And I bet you he was probably the long shot. But don't you think it would be fun if, you know, seriously, if we moved it up like 20 yards, these guys are, you know, throwing it 70 yards. Yeah. If they moved it up, it'd, it'd be fun to have a, a competition there. That would. And yeah. I really do think I could beat Brock. You think you're more accurate than him? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'd like to see it. He still has some zip on the ball. I played catch with him out there on the outside the, yeah. the uh, door out on the street. And he was, I don't know if he was doing it on purpose just to see if I could catch it, but it seemed like he was putting a little mustard on it. Yeah, he wanted it to go through your hands and hit yeah. you in the nose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a little, you could hear a little, little sizzle to it. But uh, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the big news today is the, the press conference with John Schneider and new head coach Mike McDonald. Talking about a few different things, a bunch of different things, actually, in that press conference. But John Schneider uh, describes how stunned the Seahawks offensive players were after facing that Ravens defense this year. Yeah, I think talking to I mean, there's a feeling that we all we all were there and felt it. Right. But uh, in talking to the players, you know, several several of the offensive players were like, what, what was that? What just happened? Right. And, um, you know, I've talked to try to the players brains you know here and there throughout the season and that totally stood out and i, I forget you know um which player it was and but they they said they're like who is that what was that who is that you know they don't a lot of players aren't like you know who's the coordinator over there what was that all about <laughs> so, yeah yeah it, i would imagine everybody went into the locker room after that game going what the hell was that? I mean, nobody played well. Defense, offense, they got what, what, 37 to 3, right? Yes. That was the final? Yeah. Yeah, it was like they ran for almost 300 yards, or maybe it was 300 yards. It was ridiculous, over 500. Um, and then, you know, the other thing about it was that um, 
Lamar Jackson didn't really run the ball that much in that game. I think he had he 50 yards. Throw, he didn't throw it for much either. That was a weird yards. thing. It would, seems like he would have just gotten worked. But Yeah, and they ran the hell out of the ball, which goes back to what Mark Schlereth was saying, that the the coaches on uh, Baltimore side in that AFC championship game were just stupid, is what he said. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Mike McDonald explains how his defensive scheme will translate from that Ravens uh, version you saw to the Seahawks. The system that we run is built on concepts that are adjustable and we can layer it together and you know we're not going to get there overnight it's going to be a process you know but we have we have we understand what that takes and um, the cadence will uh, will vary you know based on how fast the guys can pick it up and and what they can do so it's, it's not going to it'll the, the the spirit of how we play and the principles of how we play what you've seen on the tape in Baltimore will be the same but I can't guarantee you the, the schematics will be the same uh, here because, you know, I just, we're not sure what we're good at yet. God, I would love to sit in those meetings, those install meetings, and just see, you know, what, what the difference is and, mm-hmm. you know, what it is that he does that's that's so special. But, you know, whatever it is, it translates to guys playing fast. And I think, you know, once he has that standard in mind, the way that, that defense played, um, I, I don't think – He's not going to settle for anything less, and you know he's going to want he's going to want people flying around the ball and hitting and being physical. Yeah, and it's you know he talked about figuring out what they're good at. You know, and part of that is figuring out well who's on the team, who who are the players you're working with. I mean, some guys you know for a fact are going to be there. Obviously, you know Witherspoon and people like that, the younger guys. But as we talked about the uncertainty surrounding free agents, especially the linebackers, some of your your interior defensive linemen. Uh, it could be an entirely new crew, you know, on that side of the ball. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what they're good at, as he said, because you talked about it. What the last four, maybe five years? What's their identity? I don't know. We don't know. Or no, Paul brought that up, asking what's their identity. When you yeah. look at that defense, you're like, well, I don't really know. It's you not know? really takeaways. It's not really sacks. It's not, I, it's not speed. It's not physicality. It was just kind of nameless faceless i don't know what to call it this last year after the giant game where they got the 11 sacks they were i mean that's what we thought they were going to hang their hat on and that that didn't end up playing out so yeah that's uh it's it, it's going to be so fun to watch and see what the, like i said i would just love to be in there and see what's what's the difference between this and we'll be able to get that out of the players right what's yeah. different about it and is it easier and does it free free you up to make plays the other thing i, I was going to say is that leonard williams you know thought i think he would be a great re-sign mm-hmm. he is a free agent and i think the seahawks do get some compensation if he if he does sign somewhere else so um but i wonder if he fits into what they do I, I feel like he he takes on double teams. He's really actually pretty fast for a guy his size, and I'm, I'm curious if that's that's a guy. It, it could be somebody that that Mike McDonald could come in and say, "Yeah, that's just not what we want at that position. We want somebody a little bit faster and maybe compact and maybe somebody that was on the Ravens." <laughs> yeah, like Matabuike. Yeah. So, although I I think we read he was what six two three hundred or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, I, I think. Leonard Williams is 6'5", 6'6", 300 pounds. He's as big as any offensive lineman, but it could be that he just doesn't fit into it. Well, Mike McDonald was on with Bump and Stacy after the press conference and talked about what they want to achieve with this defense. You're always trying to dictate terms as best as you can to the offense, and that's easier said than done because the offense is trying to do the same thing to you. 
So there's a little bit of a back and forth to that. And I think one of the principles of the organizations that sat in, in Baltimore is we want to be aggressive and we want to be pushing the envelope. And so how do you do that while having being smart with the resources that you're allocating? You know, you want to have maximal return for minimal investment. I mean, it's easy to blitz zero every snap if you want, and you can apply pressure that way, but you can also do it mentally and by how you play and the things you're presenting to the offense, because they got a lot of stuff going on over there too. And obviously those guys are pros and there's a lot of great coaches out there, but if you can apply pressure over games, you know, that's, that's hard to, to do consistently for 60 minutes. The other thing too, I think I heard in that interview is about adjusting and how mm -hmm. he, he didn't say he prides himself in it, but that's what you need to be able to do. And that was one of the things that, you know, really on both sides of the ball for the for the Seahawks last year was they didn't adjust. Remember, we saw those scripted offensive plays that were going down the field and, and come out scoring. looking great. Everybody yeah. felt great after that first drive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and really, it was the opposite for the defense. It seemed like it was always the second half. Yeah. that took them a, a while to get going. So. So, um, but yeah, the adjustment part of it, I thought was really lacking on both sides of the ball last year. Yeah. As, as far as what they're going to do defensively, do you, and again, you talked about them running the three, four, this was the three, four here. So the idea that they're going to switch back, because I think everybody just assumed, well, they're struggling on defense. So they got to go back to the four, three. Well, they, they were struggling in the four, three as well. The struggles didn't just start this past season. So the struggles were there prior to it. I don't know which you know, based on the personnel, which we don't know who that's going to be, do you think one suits this personnel better than the other? Well, I don't. I'm not sure if you can run the type of defense he wants to run out of a four-three. You know, because it just it's just a matter of different personnel. Um, Three-four, you got more athletes on the field. You know, you got three linemen, you got four linebackers that can drop. Although they do drop some of their inside guys sometimes. Mm -hmm. We talked about that the other day, and. and I just like his approach to that because I've never liked defensive linemen dropping back into coverage when they don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. But, you know, he for them, it's more about occupying the offensive linemen and confusing the blocking scheme. And that's why they get guys guys free. One of the things that he showed in that little clip when he was talking defense that we talked about the other day, Moyer sent it to me. There was like a natural little stunt that they where they rush the the running back, linebacker hits him and then the other linebacker who's blitzing kind of you know, almost like a defensive lineman stunt. And he mm -hmm. called it a natural stunt or something or something that just you create during the play. And it was very clever. It was just something I hadn't seen before. And, you know, I thought, wow, this is the these are the kind of things that, you know, they can do to get guys freed up and rush the passer. All right, coming up, Mike McDonald's hire was historic for a number of reasons. We're going to hear about one of those when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Well, everyone talking about the Mike McDonald hire. Damian Woody on NFL Live kind of had an interesting take on this. Said it might be a little uncomfortable for McDonald or any new coach coming in with Pete Carroll still looming around. Yeah, listen, Hannah, personally, I, you know, I don't know how comfortable I would be having having a legend. Pete Carroll is a legend in, in Seattle for everything he's done up there. But listen, Mike McDonald, young coach, he's had he has everything in front of him. He's done such a fantastic job with a first-class organization in the Baltimore Ravens. And so, listen, I might pers I might not personally like it, but I think, you know, Mike McDonald, I don't think his ego is going to allow him to feel any type of way with Pete Carroll being in an advisory role. He's not going to feel any type of way, Dave. 
I don't, do we even have a sense what Pete's role is going to be there? Yeah, I mean, I know they said he's going to be in the building and they're, they're going to figure it out. They didn't have anything to find at the time, but do you think that was lip service just for the moment and he's just not going to be around? Or Did Pete did Pete go on any of these? Didn't he go to the Chargers? I think uh, he wanted to be. He said Snoop Dogg said he. Yeah, yeah. Snoop said he wanted that Chargers gig, but yeah. I don't think they spoke. They had a conversation. Did anybody that. else make it sound? Could I make it sound less cool saying Snoop Dogg's name? Does that <laughs> Matt? Maybe I was it? told that Snoop had the inside track on that and had all the so, info. Just say Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, you, you're worse. Sweeping the dial. No, please keep going back and forth with that. <laughs> Could make it sound worse. Yeah. Snoop Dogg. Uh, so Rich Eisen again talking about this hire. On the surface, he feels like, you know, it's not that drastically a different move for the Seahawks going from Pete Carroll to Mike McDonald. The Niners and the Rams doing what they're doing on the offensive side of the football. And let's go get a, a coordinator that's going to defend it. And so I don't know how much appreciably different. Like that's that was Pete's Pete's mantra was let's play defense. Let's hold on to the ball. Yep. Let's do ball control. Let's run it. Let's not do anything crazy. Let's. Uh, it, there's clearly a philosophy of how they want to build a team and how they want to run a team up there in in uh, in Seattle, and it looks like they're going to continue with that. Normally, you switch it up, right? You right. go with somebody completely different than the coach that you you had in terms of philosophy, but they're they're going defense again up there. Except they didn't run the ball and they weren't playing good defense. No, and then the other thing is, I don't I don't think it really matters that much. You just need to get the right guys. I don't know that the that was a big emphasis at the end of the of Pete's career of, you know, the one thing Pete did a really good job with and not one thing, he did a really good job with a lot of things, but holding onto the ball, he mentioned that there, because whenever you look at turnover ratio, people always think about takeaways. But if you look at the teams, like you look at um, John Harbaugh's Ravens and Bill Belichick's Patriots, they have very low numbers year to year as far as giveaways. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's going to be a big point of emphasis, but yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't see it as I don't know. I think because everybody thinks okay, he's half of Pete's age, that's a big departure. That it's more more so than it would have been if you had uh Dan Quinn coming in here. Yeah. So I but yeah, I don't know. I just we didn't get the feel that they were all about running the ball and, you know, remember Pete wanted a punishing running game mm -hmm. and then, you know, take the ball away on defense, play really good defense, not overly complicated. And we'll see. Maybe it'll take these guys a, a while to get this down, but um I'm very very excited to see what, you know, what players get better on defense or play up to the uh you know the standard that we feel like they could play up to like a guy like you know jordan brooks I, the other thing i think pete did maybe better than any coach in the league is manage personalities yeah and not that there doesn't appear there are those extreme personalities on this version but we talk about the glory days of the yellow b and it was magical but you got to give him a ton of credit for keeping it together with the personalities of Marshawn and Earl Michael and Richard Bennett. and Doug and Michael Bennett. I mean, these are, yeah, that's not easy, man. I know no. we, we can on the outside laugh and all these guys are goofy and funny, man. It can be a giant pain in the backside for a coaching staff. Sweeping the dial.
This morning on NFL Network, uh, Mike Garofolo broke down why Mike McDonald's contract is a uh, record setting. My understanding is this is the highest paid. I don't know what the number is exactly, but he'll be the highest paid first time coach ever. He had two teams there. Yeah, we have two sense. bidders. You can bid one against the other one. That's the kind of stuff that can happen there. So Mike McDonald got himself not only a long deal, Tom, but also a lucrative deal. You know, it's funny about that. I think about that for him and his wife. Um, they're pretty, you know, young couple and probably thinking, I mean, this is a historic contract and you could buy a really beautiful house here, but if I'm Mike McDonald, I'm thinking I'm not going to be spending any time at the house. I'm going to be down at the, at the VMAC and that's a pretty cool place to hang out. They got, they had really good food down there, by the way, today, but (laughs) do they, yeah, but, uh, better than the food we had here, (laughs) which Mm, was nothing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that luckily it's a cool place to hang out, but I'm just thinking for him, I mean, this first year getting it down, I mean, he's going to be spending, I feel like 18 hours a day down at the VMAG right next to it somewhere i would one of the schneider's probably like 10 minutes from there and you know you look at remember uh we heard the story about bobby wagner that he was like a half a mile yeah from there a lot of the guys live pretty close right yeah yeah it would i mean it makes sense you're right he's probably going to be his wife's probably not going to see him for days at a time because he'll leave before she's up and she'll be asleep when he comes home and I told you that story about a coach that I had, and I I was talking to him probably two years after I had uh, done I was done playing, and uh, I asked him uh, about how it was going. He goes, you know, I haven't seen my kids awake in two months <laughs> because he would leave at like five thirty in the morning and he'd get home at ten thirty at night. He had two young kids. I mean, that was every day. These coaches, this is why I love coaches. Um, just. The fact that they're football coaches, knowing what they go through and, you know, the how they sacrifice all of their time and a lot of time with their families, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough business. Do you think it's still like that, though? Do you think they've become more efficient? You know, we, we've heard about guys sleeping at the, at the facility and, they, they, you know, they'd wake up and just go right back to work and go to sleep there. And the whole thing you talked about, Harbaugh was the one that pulled up to his house and he couldn't remember if he was coming or going. Yeah. <laughs> he mean, fell asleep. Is it isn't yeah. is that old school or do you think there's still that happening guys sleeping in, in the office and doing probably, that whole thing? Probably a little bit less because you can take the technology with you, right? Yeah. You can take yeah. your your pad with you and do that, but yeah, no, it sounds like even though that's the case, like Bobby and Russell Wilson, I mean, those guys always were having a competition to see who could get there early, the earliest. And who, who was the guy we talked to this this year where he talked about he was coming in at like 530 and talking to Coach Shedd and going through a whole hour of, you know, oh, looking uh, at Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And then he would, he talked about the backyard cure or something like that. Was it the uh, the salt bath? Salt bath, yep. yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, I think that there are still a, a bunch of guys that you're, you're still going to put a ton of time in. And then if you Especially say, "Well, he's the new guy," yeah, exactly. And then you go home and you say to your wife, "You know, I I'll, I can come home and do the work there." But then you're like, uh, "Please don't talk to me." Yeah, because I'll be down in the work. dungeon, yeah. <laughs> working on it in the dark. There, yeah, it's tough business. So. Yeah, luckily they're well compensated. But uh, sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up a lot like uh, Mike McDonald's talk today. Uh, there's a lot to like about it, but there is baseball news to get into. And our guy John Morosi is going to join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.